0: Today on Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, we'll talk about jumping into action ahead of God's timing.
1: Begin to understand how God has prepared you for what you're currently doing. When God opens doors, be ready to walk through them prepared with a specific plan.
0: Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago, and he's also the president of Moody Bible Institute. Well, Mark, we have heard it before, timing is everything. And Nehemiah has a heavy burden on his soul to get up and do something for his people. But even with his urgent call, there was a patience about him. There was, and timing is difficult,
1: Wayne, because we have to process, we're discerning at times, is this really what God wants us to do? And Nehemiah, four months passed between the time that Nehemiah heard the news about Jerusalem and the moment that he talked to the king, but he could not let that moment pass. Mm -hmm. In fact, here's what I want to say. Fear will mess up your timing. Oh, yeah. There's a window that opens, and if we know God is calling us to do something, we have to process it, but then God opens up windows that we have to step through. If not, we can miss our timing.
0: Well, our message is titled, The Hand of God, and to follow along in your Bible with Pastor Mark, turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter two.
1: Nehemiah is all about rebuilding. Nehemiah was a project manager for a king. He found, he found himself about 500 years before the, the, the time of Christ. The city of Jerusalem had been in ruins for 141 years. It was an old problem that God gave a new burden to Nehemiah for. God interrupted his life. Nehemiah was living, just kind of living his life down, being successful at what he does, and suddenly God interrupts Nehemiah's life with a life-changing burden. He hears news about Jerusalem. The gates have been torn down. The city is in ruins. The people are discouraged. The temple is in disarray. People aren't coming to worship God anymore. Their infrastructure's damaged. There's being people that are oppressed economically. There's crime in the streets. There's demoralization among the people. And God gets a hold of Nehemiah 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And suddenly, Nehemiah cannot escape the burden of God. He wakes up in the middle of the night, wrestling through it. When he gets up to go to work in the morning, he's thinking about it. He goes about his daily duties and he can't shake this heaviness of heart. He takes it before, the, before God in prayer. He fasts about it. He prays about it. He finds himself in the middle of the day crying tears coming down his cheek, his head hanging low, there's sadness upon his spirit and his soul. In his heart and in his mind he knows, I have to do something about this problem, but what can I do? I'm one person, it's, the, it's 800 miles away, I have no experience, I've never even been to Jerusalem, but there's a burden in his heart that he cannot escape. Has that ever happened to you? You get a burden that you can't let go of. Maybe you run into a relative of yours that you haven't seen in quite a while, a niece or a nephew, and you discover that they've dropped out of school, that they're hanging around with the wrong people, that they're depressed, getting involved in drugs and other kinds of things. And, and you just can't shake that image from your, you remember them when they were just a happy little six-year-old and the smile on their face. And now they're 18 years old and they're going down. And it seems like there's no net there to save them. It seems like if you don't do something, they're going down the drain quickly. But you don't know what to do about it. You feel like my hands are tied. I don't know how to how to help them. I don't know what to do. I have no experience. I'm not a youth counselor. I just know that I have a burden and someone's got to do something about it. It's a God-given burden. It's a burden that shakes you out of mediocrity, that awakens you out of apathy, that stirs your heart, that grips your soul, that cannot be escaped. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah experienced this, and four months later, I pick up in chapter two. Four months after he had first heard the news about how bad Jerusalem was, I believe that God takes our life and He He turns good intentions into action. You know, there's a lot of people with good intentions. How many of you know about it? Hey, we all have good intentions. The beginning of this year, a whole bunch of you had good intentions. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to finish that uh, degree that I started 15 years ago. Uh, life is full of good intentions, but how many of you know there's a difference between good intentions and action? And oftentimes, many of our good intentions stop there at good intentions, a good thought, and we never do anything about it. Well, it tells us in this scripture In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it that you want? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. Write this down. What happens when God is moving you to do something about ruins? I believe there's ruins in everybody's life. I believe there's piles of bricks in everybody's life. Uh, Some of you... Uh, your pile of bricks represents your life. And you look at your past and you look at your present and you look at the destruction and the chaos in your family and your finances and your health and your relationships and if you were to say to me, Pastor, my life is a pile of bricks right now. There's no sense, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no purpose. I am in shambles. There is a mess in my life. Don't raise your hands if that's you, but I'm just kind of not in your spirit. And I believe that maybe it's your family, maybe it's your personal life, maybe it's your community, maybe uh, whatever pile of bricks is, in your, is, is around you, God can awaken you to say you need to do something about the ruin that's there. The first thing I want you to jot down, jot down this principle. When God is turning our good intentions into actions, I think the first thing that God speaks into our heart is be faithful where God has placed you and look for the right timing to step out on a God initiative. You you see, there's something about timing. Uh, Some of us see a burden. We know that something needs to be done. But oftentimes we jump into something too quickly without asking, God, is this your time? There's something about divine timing Sometimes God is saying, wait. Sometimes God is saying in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to be joyful and a time to be sad. There's a time to build and a time to destroy. There's a time to live and there's a time to die. There's a time to get married. There's a time to be single. There's a time for everything. And the big question is, God, am I in your timing?" Notice what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah is a cupbearer, which means that he's the guy that tastes the food and drinks the wine before it's given to the king, because in those days, it was common that if someone wanted to eliminate someone from royalty, they would poison them. So his job was to taste the wine and eat the food before the king did, and the king, I guess, would just wait a little while, watch him. If he started frothing at the mouth and shaking and turning purple, he'd say, okay, I better not eat that. So it had to be a trusted person. Nehemiah comes before the king, and the king, in in the days of Nehemiah, it was a crime, punishable by death if you showed sadness in the presence of the king. And the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad, and he says, Hey, why are you sad? You're not sick, are you? No. And it tells us in, in verse Uh, the the end of verse 2, he says, I was very much afraid, but, oh, I love that. I was very much afraid, but, you see, here's the thing. If you allow fear to paralyze you and there's not a but, in spite of my fear, even though I'm afraid, I'm still going to, then you will miss God's timing. You see what fear does is it fears keeps us from taking steps that we know we need to take at the time we know we need to take them. I remember when I was about 10 years old, I grew up in a little village called Ruvena in northern Spain. And as a 10-year-old boy, we were always coming up with some new invention. Uh, to, to antagonize other kids and you know new experiments and adventures and so this particular day I had found a rope and I had decided and a pulley and I had decided that it would be cool if we could swing down this rope on a pulley so we tied a rope to a tree that was probably about 25 feet high down to another tree that was probably about uh, 10 feet high And we got a pulley, and a couple of us boys jumped on the pulley and swung all the way down that long rope at the bottom and then jumped off right before we hit the tree. That was our landing uh, strategy. You had to let go before you hit the tree. Now, there was this one boy that was very fearful of it. His name was Tito. And we convinced Tito that he was a wimp if he didn't do it. You know how young 10-year-old boys are. You're a wimp if you don't do it. So he decided he was going to do it. But he was very frightened. I could tell when he was up there. I mean, this thing would go fast. It was a pretty high incline, and it would go fast, and you really had to, I mean, you're 25 feet high, so it was a scary thing. So Tito decided to do it, and I could tell right when he started out, we were in for trouble because his face was paralyzed with fear. Now, the trick about this pulley is that you had to let go about 5 to 10 feet before you hit the tree. So when Tito came down, (laughs) fear was written all over his face. Now, we stationed ourselves right about the place he was supposed to let go, and we hollered, Tito, let go, let go, let go. But because Tito was so frightened, he didn't let go. Well, I tried to explain to his mother that it wasn't our fault. And what could we do about it if he wanted to do it himself? The end result was that because Tito was, was paralyzed by fear, he missed that window of opportunity of letting go. And so Tito hit against the tree, did a flip in the air, fell, and broke his arm. Uh, his mother didn't quite like our explanation that it was he missed his timing and it wasn't our fault. She didn't kind of buy into that. But, but, but many times what happens in our life is the same thing that happened to Tito happens to us, but with bigger issues. We get paralyzed by fear when it's time for us to do something. And even though it's God's timing, even though it's the moment, we allow ourselves to miss the moment because... Fear has gripped us, and instead of thinking about what could go right, we begin to think about what could go wrong.
0: We're talking about stepping out on an initiative from God. You're listening to the Bible teaching of Mark Job here on Bold Steps Weekend. We'll learn more about how you can answer God's call from a message titled The Hand of God in just a moment, so please keep listening. Did you know that in addition to this weekend program, Mark's messages also air each weekday on our sister program, Bold Steps. And if you want to listen on your own time, you can always access these messages online on our podcast or through the popular Moody Radio app, available free. To learn more about all the ways you can listen to Mark, just visit our website at boldstepsweekend.org. All right, now let's get back into part two of Mark's message on the life of Nehemiah. We're picking up with a story of how Nehemiah learned to balance waiting and taking action.
1: The Bible says that Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid, but even though I was afraid, I still spoke to the king at that moment and I said, and I believe that Nehemiah probably lifted up his crackling voice. And he said, yeah, I, 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 king, I, I have something to say. May the king live forever. You know that when someone's going to give you bad news or news that may, you may think you don't like, they always give you a little compliment first, right? You've learned that from your kids. Hey, mom, dinner was really, really good. Now, mom, can, can I just tell you something? You know, you, you, you know when there's a compliment that something bad may follow afterwards, right? So he says, may the king live forever. Why should my face look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah was taking a risk. And he tells the king that there's a burden upon his heart and something needs to be done about this burden he has upon his heart. He jumped through that door of opportunity when God was opening. But I want you to understand that he didn't just jump through that door of opportunity because Psalms 27 verse 13 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Nehemiah for four months had waited upon God. And the reason that Nehemiah could overcome his fear is that his heart had grown courageous. You see, if you're struck by fear right now about doing something, I think the best thing you could do is start bringing it before God. So Nehemiah asked basically that the king would send him away, pay his trip, give him a vacation, provide the resources, and provide people. That's pretty bold. But I want you to notice this little phrase, and if your servant has found favor in his sight. You see, here's what I know. I believe that Nehemiah, God had placed Nehemiah at the right place at the right time for the right purpose. I want you to hear me really well. Look up at me. You are in a place right now where God is preparing you for your future. You say, well, pastor, I feel like I'm wasting my time. No life lived in God's will is a waste of time. You say, well, I'm at a dead-end job. Do you know that God can even use dead-end jobs to get us ready? I got a lousy boss. Do you realize that God can even use bigoted, biased, oppressive, critical, nasty bosses to do stuff in our life? Do you realize that? I'm in a tough marriage. Hey, do you realize that God uses tough marriages especially to mold our character? I want you to know something right now that you are not wasting your time. If you're living in the center of God's will that God is using whatever life experiences you are going through right now, this moment, this week, to prepare you for the future of what God has called you to. Your experience and your trials will not be wasted if you allow God to use them for his purposes. Life is lived looking forward, but it's understood as we, look, as we look backwards. Are you tracking with me? You understand life looking forward. That's how you live it, but you really comprehend what's going on as you look backward. I see it in my own life. I never thought, if you were to ask me in college, hey, what are you going to be doing 20-some years from now? I'm 43 years old. If you were to ask me when I was 18 years old, hey, do you think you'll be in Chicago? Do you think you'll be planting churches? Do you think you'll be doing a ministry? I would have said, are you crazy? No way. When I was about 18, 19 years old, I was thinking about the medical field. God got a hold of me then a, a little bit later. I was thinking I was going to go back to Europe. I lived in Europe, grew up in in Europe, that's where I planned to go. I didn't like Chicago, didn't want to be in Chicago, but yet I look back and I say, God was preparing my heart years ago for what I'm doing right now. You say, how's that? Well, you know what? When I was six months old, my parents moved to Costa Rica to learn the Spanish language. And then they moved to Chile, and my father got involved in planting churches in some rustic places in the mountains of Chile. When I was six years old, they moved to Spain and began to plant churches in Spanish-speaking language in the country of Spain. And when I was 17, I came to Chicago to go to school, not because I wanted to be in Chicago, but because God orchestrated it. And So I was bilingual growing up, little did I know. That 20 some years later, we would be in Chicago, that four of our congregations would be Spanish speaking. Little did I know that as God was moving me from country to country, I lived in France for a while, worked here, worked there. Little did I know that our ministry would be multi ethnic, multicultural, diverse in the city of Chicago. Little did I know that as God was bringing me to school in Chicago, that God was preparing me to stay in Chicago, little did I know that. Little did I know as I was watching my father plant churches and start works that God would actually use that to help me begin to plant and start other works in the future. Little did I know that what I was living through, God was actually preparing me for what I'm currently doing right here and right now. Isn't it amazing? Little did I know that God was giving me an education to do exactly what I'm doing right now. I didn't understand that. I didn't know. Hey, guess what? Guess what I studied right now? Uh, God opened the doors about a year and a half ago to start a radio program. You know what I studied somewhat in college? Audiovisual communications. Little did I know, in fact, I got out of the field, I said, I'm never going to use this. This is just... Ca-. Little did I know that I would be in audio-visual communications a few years later. You see, I didn't know all that, but God was using pieces in my history, in my puzzle to prepare me for what I'm doing right now. And every single one of you, I believe, has a similar story. If you were to look at your past and trace what got, how, how you've gotten the point that you're at, Your story is a preparation for your present, and God will use it in your future if you allow him to use it. You see, in Nehemiah, you looked at him, he didn't think much about what he was doing, but yet little did he know that God had prepared him to get the ear of the king, that God was orchestrating circumstances so that as a Jewish individual son of slaves, that he would grow up in the palace and know very intimately the workings of the king and have favor with the king and have a Jewish background so that one day he could go back to Jerusalem with the resources and blessing and authority of a non-Jewish king to build the city of Jerusalem. Little did he know what God was doing in his life. Look back at your life. Begin to understand how God has prepared you for what you're currently doing. Thirdly, I want you to jot this down. When God opens doors, be ready to walk through them prepared with a specific plan. A lot of us spend a lot of time asking for open doors, but very little time figuring out what we're going to do when God actually opens those doors. Some of you young men, you've been praying for five years, oh, God, give me a wife. Hey, I know you want a wife, but but don't you think you should get your act together a bit? Don't you think you should save a little money so that if you actually get married, you're not going to have to ask her dad to pay the bills for the wedding and, and, and get a loan to get a, a wedding ring? Hey, excuse me, young man of God, that's great that you're getting married, but I don't think she's going to fit on the back of your bicycle. Maybe you should get a car that she could ride in. Hey, here's the point, folks. Sometimes we pray for an open door, but we're not prepared for the door that God opens for us.
0: It calls for a plan, and that's where we're headed next time on Bold Steps Weekend. You've been listening to a powerful message from our Bible teacher, Mark Job. If you've missed any part of our current series in the life of Nehemiah called Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World— feel free to catch up anytime by visiting boldstepsweekend.org. And then while you're online, let me remind you to request your copy of our latest Bold Action Gift. It's a refreshing look at the Lenten season written by our friend Daniel Darling called The Characters of Easter, the villains, heroes, cowards, and crooks who witness history's biggest miracle. Mark, tell us more about this book.
1: Ever feel like your life is too simple Too flawed or too ordinary to play a part in God's greater plan? Well, just take one look at the cast of characters that God used in His greatest plan, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and those doubts will be utterly demolished. Easter is the biggest miracle in all of human history. But this glorious moment wasn't staged with inspiring leaders and faithful supporters. Instead, It unfolded with a cast of broken men and women who betrayed their hero and doubted his victory. And to really expose the incredible and relatable stories of these flawed figures, Dan Darling wrote a book entitled, The Characters of Easter. You can request a copy of this eye-opening resource today when you give a gift of any amount to support
0: the ministry of Bold Steps. Thank you, Mark. And to everyone listening, we'll be happy to send you a copy of The Characters of Easter when you give online at boldstepsweekend.org or give us a call at 866-535-5580. Now, if you'd rather send your donation and request for the book in the mail, that's easy to do as well. Just address your envelope to Bold Steps Weekend, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois 60610. Well, that's all the time we have today. So glad to have you with us, though. I'm Wayne Shepherd On behalf of the entire Bold Steps Weekend team, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time when Mark continues with part two of this insightful message titled The Hand of God. That's next time on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.